This sermon was delivered at Grand Avenue Baptist Church, a gospel-centered church in Ames, Iowa. Hear more sermons and learn more about Grand Avenue at gabcames.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 10, verses 16 through 42, which is found on page 10 of your service guide. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you, how you are to speak or what you are to say, For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me will me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives me and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Grasp the 
Thank you, Cassie. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be back with you. <laughs> it was a long, protracted illness. <laughs> Appreciate David being ready to preach on such short notice. Also want to say a word of thanks to those guys who are pushing snow, RES, who does the main parking lot, and uh, Michael Bartles and his crew uh, who does the sidewalks and other things like that. Scott Renault comes up here during the week and does some things. It's, it's huge when we can walk in, right? And you're not having to go through knee-deep snow, so it makes it nice, uh, especially when it's four degrees out there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can be here in this warm building this morning and uh, Lord worship you. And Father, we pray, God, as we look at this text this morning and consider the marks of your disciples and the cost of discipleship, Lord, that you would plant your word deep in our hearts as we sang earlier, cause it to bear fruit. Lord, help me to preach, speak clearly, and... Uh, give uh, understanding to this word. Uh, we ask that your spirit would do that in spite of my weakness and in spite of my inabilities. And Lord, we just pray that God, you would, your word would do its work by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, when you start a new job, what is one thing your boss usually gives you? Job description, right? You, you need to know what you're supposed to do, what's expected of you. However, there's sometimes uh, you have to do things that are not in the job description, correct? That's just par for the course. It's what we do. You know, here's your job description. Oh, I, I need to do a little extra here, help out here and do that. That's just part of what we do. It's, it's okay sometimes, right? <laughs> sometimes it's not. Um, so when I was in high school, I live with my mom and my stepdad in Tupelo, Mississippi. And my stepdad, he, he never wanted me to be still. He always wanted me working. I was always working, and he worked around Tupelo. He knew where all the jobs were, and he was always finding me jobs to do. And so the summer before my junior year of high school, he found me this job at this furniture factory where I would go in and do whatever they wanted. There was no job description. It was, we need you to do this and this and this, and I would just do whatever. And then he also found me another job. I think I may have told you this story before. Ugh, I almost hate to tell it. It's really the worst job I've ever had in my life. I, I worked at the mall in a women's dress store. I know, I know, I'm not done yet. I, Cleaning, cleaning, right? I cleaned. So I would come in after working at the furniture factory all day, and I would come in and I would sweep and mop and just tidy up. That was my job. They didn't have anybody to do that, so I would do that. And um, so one day I came in to Stewart's, name, that's the name of the dress shop in the mall, and uh, the manager asked me if I would help out. One of the ladies couldn't make it to work. She wanted me to stand in the back and make sure no one was shoplifting. I went, oh, security. I'm getting, you know, I'm moving up. And so I stood in the back. And uh, it wasn't too bad until I came in one Saturday to clean. She said, hey, one of the ladies couldn't show up and work. Would you stand here in front of the dressing room and you hand out numbers to the ladies 
who are trying on dresses, and then when they come out, would you hang them back up? I'm like, you know, I'm a boy in high school. I play football. <laughs> I mean, you know, all kinds of sports, anything, tough, macho, machismo, all that kind of stuff. And no, I didn't want to do that, but it paid money, so I did it, <laughs> right? Until one Saturday, she had me doing that, and all these girls from high school came in and saw me working back there, and that was it. I quit. I was done. It, you know, it's just that was the embarrassment was too much. So, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, you you need to know what's expected of you when you start a new job, right? That's that's where I'm going with that. This is kind of what's going on in Matthew uh, 10, 16 through 42. Now, I don't want to call it a job description because discipleship is more than a job description, right? Discipleship is life. If you're a believer and you're a follower of Christ, discipleship is our lives. And as Jesus' disciples, he wants us to be prepared for what to expect. He was always preparing his disciples for what's coming. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said, "...which of you desire to build a tower?" does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Why would he say that? It's because the cost of discipleship is high. It's high. Listen, if discipleship were a job, no one would take it. No one would take this job because it's too high. But we have to remember this, right? We have to remember that there are rewards for being Jesus' disciple. And the rewards far exceed the cost. And so to follow Jesus is to understand Jesus is our great treasure and our reward. He is the satisfaction of our heart. And he is our heart's desires ultimately, whether you know it or not or believe that or not. That is who he is and what he is for us as we embrace the high cost of discipleship. So the cost is not too high when you consider the reward of Christ. Two Sundays ago, Eric preached, and he walked us through Matthew 9, 35 through chapter 10, verse, 10, uh, verse 15, where Jesus called his disciples, and he commissioned them to proclaim the kingdom as they went through all the Jewish villages and cities to which he was sending them. And then after he commissioned them, <clears throat> so here's the thing, just, he, he commissioned them, And then he told them what to expect before they went to proclaim the kingdom, right? This is where we are. He's commissioned them. Now he's telling them what to expect as they go. And so this is what we have in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 42. And he laid out for them the marks of discipleship. All right? That's what he laid out for them. These words were not only for them, but they are for us as well. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through uh, verses 16 through 42 and examine the five marks of Jesus' disciples. You ready? Mark number one. Disciples are sovereignly sent out by Jesus. Disciples are sovereignly sent out by Jesus. That's verse 16. Let me read it again. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so verse, here's the deal. Verse 16 is the foundational verse of this passage. Just everything kind of flows through this one verse. It is the commission of Christ that we must remember as we encounter all opposition to proclaiming the kingdom. 
we've we got to remember this verse. What? We've got to remember Jesus' words. What did he say? I am sending you. I am sending you. He has sent us. He knows where he's sending us. And he knows what we will encounter. And this should be encouraging to us as we know Jesus has commissioned us. He has sent us. It's not guesswork for him. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't scratch his head and go, I wonder. He doesn't have to think about it. And just, he doesn't go, mm, let me see. He doesn't. He knows what he's doing. He is sending you. He, he is sending us. And here's what he knows what he's doing. He's sending us as emissaries among the enemy or unbelievers. Now, listen, let me, let me qualify something here. Among the enemy, among unbelievers. Not all unbelievers are enemies that are fighting with us, okay? So don't think of it that way. What we have are people who are enemies with God, right? They're, they're enemies of God, and they don't think, whether they know it or not, they're fighting with God and whether they're going to trust Him and, and believe in Him and trust Jesus. And so all, all the things they struggle with is that they're fighting with, with the Lord, not with us. So he's sending us his emissaries among the enemy and, or as he said, sheep among wolves, right? And so therefore he says we must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves among those unbelievers. So the imagery, it's not difficult for us to understand, but striking the balance between doves and serpents, that is more difficult. So what, what are doves? They are ignorant, fearless. They have an ignorant fearlessness about them. And that's why doves are so easily trapped. <clears throat> Serpents, on the other hand, are cunning and dangerous. And so these are the two extremes of those animals, right? And we don't want to be at the extremes. He's not saying be at the extremes. He's saying strike the balance between these two. Strike the balance. So, so instead, we've we got to find the balance between being as innocent and harmless as doves, but as wise and cunning as a serpent. And so... In other words, the world we live in, we're to find that balance of how to live with unbelievers in a hostile world that is hostile toward us. And so remember, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers so that we avoid conflicts and attacks where possible. This means we should be cautious, but not so cautious that we will not take risks to share the gospel in hard places. So bottom line is this, our mission can be dangerous because we are emissaries among the enemy. And so we must be bold and yet innocent. And remember that even when, we're, when we're, we strike the right balance, even then things may not go well. It may not end well. <clears throat> so here's the important truth. We must remember that when things are difficult, Jesus knew where he was sending us. He, he knew that he had sent us to do a difficult task. <coughs> he knew that the task was difficult because what did he do? He left heaven and he came as the Lamb of God among the wolves himself in order to save his people who were enemies with him prior to that. And so what did he do? He took, took on the most difficult task that he may blaze a path to God for us in order that we may be transformed and adopted into his family as his sons and daughters. That's what Jesus did. He's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. 
So brothers and sisters, we're commissioned by the King of Kings to follow in his steps and to walk with him to proclaim the kingdom in hard places, which leads us to our second point in verses 17 through 25. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm going to cough every now and then, all right? So Mark number two, disciples prepare for persecution. Verses 17 through 25, disciples will prepare for persecution. And so let's kind of take this apart a piece at a time. So in verses 17 through 22a, the first part of verse 22, we see that Jesus' disciples should prepare to be opposed as they proclaim the kingdom. Jesus warned his disciples and us that as we follow him, we may be arrested and delivered to the authorities. And yet even then, he he says, don't be anxious. I mean, don't be anxious. (laughs) Okay, Lord, why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to walk us through that. He's going to give us what to say and tell us what to do and give us wisdom at that point. And we will know. And then in verses 21 and 22a, they hit home, don't they? And here's where Jesus warns that the message of the gospel will be so divisive that even family members will betray one another to their execution for following Christ. For proclaiming the kingdom. Listen to what he said. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And then in verse 22, he he puts an exclamation point on it, doesn't he? He says, you will be hated uh, by all for his namesake. For his namesake. For who he is. For that message of the gospel that we proclaim. Listen, I hope none of this ever happens to you i hope it never happens to you i really do but we must be warned they have happened to others and that these things still do happen today so if persecution comes to you through your own family do not be surprised prepare for persecution right and if it does happen do you remember that they may deliver you to the authorities and they may hate you but underneath it all is verse 16 jesus has sent you to be his witness. He sent you. And so if you're his witness, verses 19 through 21 tell us to not be anxious, but that the Spirit will give us the words to say when the right time comes. And then verse 22 concludes with Jesus calling us to endure, doesn't he? Listen to how this, this is, I mean, this is the doctrine of perse- perseverance of the saints. Listen, this is how it works, Right? True saints persevere to the end, and they are saved. Listen, here's the deal. You don't earn your salvation by persevering. That's not what he's saying. He's saying as you persevere to the end, you reveal that you truly are a disciple. You truly are a believer. You truly are a follower of Christ. And then next, notice the tension between verse 22 and verse 23, because verse 22 seems to Call for endurance, even to the death, correct? But then verse 23a, the first part of verse 23 says that if we we can flee to another town, we should do that. Which one is it? Well, verse 16. We're innocent as doves and wise as serpents. The Spirit will tell us what to do. We'll know what to do in that moment because the Lord's going to lead us. The Spirit will tell us when to stay and when to flee. There's nothing wrong with fleeing. The Apostle Paul fled a lot, didn't he? You read Acts, you read his letters, he fled a lot when he needed to. And so finally, there's some debate about the end of verse 23 when he said, I say to you, 
you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, Dr. Don Carson is a scholar I greatly respect. He says there are seven interpretations to that last part of that verse. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to give them to you all. No, I'm not. <laughs> but there's three big questions, right? The, the, the three main questions are, did Jesus mean this for his disciples just at this particular commission? Or did he mean this about his disciples that this is going to happen before 70 AD when the Romans came in and they destroyed the temple and wiped all of that out. And if you didn't know that, that's what happened in 70 AD. Or is this what's going to happen to all of his disciples before he returns in the end to come take us home? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't know everything. So. <laughs> Listen, here's the deal. Regardless of what he meant, the call to discipleship is this. It is both demanding and dangerous. That, that's, that's the point. It's demanding and dangerous. If it happened to them then, it may have, but it's still happening now, right? It's demanding and dangerous, and all these things are going to happen to Jesus. And why would we expect anything less? They all happen to him. And so listen to verses 24 and 25. The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for his disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, friends, the call to discipleship is to call to be like Jesus, is to call to walk in his footsteps. And if you're becoming like your king and the world hated him, then the enemies of the king will hate us as well. It will happen. Because they see him in us. That's what they hate. They hate him that's in us, that we're representing. So here's the deal. While verses 24 and 25 are a warning, they're also an inspiration. I mean, what greater blessing can it be than when you've become so much like Jesus, you're, you're so reflecting who he is that you are maligned for the sake of the message of the gospel because they see Christ in you. They see Christ in you. And this leads us to the third mark of the disciple in verse 26 through 23, uh, 33. The third mark is this. Disciples have faith in God, not fear of man. Disciples have faith in God, not fear of man. And so after Jesus told his disciples they should expect persecution, he then told them to have no fear. Again, you, I mean, it's like, do not be anxious. Now we have no fear. Wow. Uh, then he charged them three times to have no fear, and he gave them four reasons to have no fear. Verse 26, he says, so have no fear of them. This is because of the persecution that they bring. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So reason number one, we should have no fear because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And when God comes to judge, the truth will be made known, and all those who belong to Jesus will be vindicated. And so what this does, it should give us confidence to live fearlessly for Christ. So we don't have to worry about, we don't have to worry about what the world thinks about us and what they say about us. Why? Because what God says about us is way more important than what the world says about us or what our family says about us, or what our friends say about us, whether we're popular or liked or not. It's 
It's what God says about us. Because, why? Because we follow Christ. Should give us confidence to do this. It leads quite naturally to verse 28, where Jesus says, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy, um, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And here, he says there is a greater fear than those who can only kill the body. There's a greater fear than that, and it is the fear of God. You see, God can destroy both soul and body in hell. Man can only kill you. He can only kill your body. That's all he can do to you. However, the implication is that if you belong to God, you won't be destroyed if, if man kills you, you won't be destroyed. You'll be saved because God will save you. There is an eternity. Heaven is waiting. And so therefore, why would you fear man? There's no reason to fear man because all he can do is kill the body. But God saves those who belong to him. What he's saying is, yeah, you may die for your faith, but that's not the end. I've, I've got you. <coughs> so that's the second reason to have no fear. The third reason to have no fear is in verses 29 through 30. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Here Jesus calls us not to fear man, because he is the one who governs all of life, even to the smallest detail. He governs all things from the life and death of birds, of sparrows, the least of birds, to the number of hairs on your head or the lack of number of hairs on your head, however you want to say that. Inconsequential things, right? Number of hairs on your head. So, so friends, have no fear because God is in control and he cares more about the details of your life than you do. Than you do. You, you don't know how many hairs are on your head. And yet God knows that information, and he has an up-to-date count of how many new ones there are, how many you lost this morning when you took a shower, came out in the comb of your brush. So bottom line, from the least of things like hairs to sparrows to the greatest like judgment and eternity, God is in control, so have no fear. Do not be anxious. Do not be fearful. And it doesn't matter what your eyes are telling you. It looks like the world is winning. It looks like, but it's not. God is in control. So finally, this leads to the fourth and last reason to have no fear. In verse 31, he says, Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. And so building on his sparrow illustration, Jesus, we hear Jesus tell us that if God loves and cares for sparrows, then we are much more important to God. So we have no fear and boldly proclaim the gospel because God is in control of the very details of our lives. And so we may die proclaiming the gospel, but we will not be lost because we die doing that. Does it mean we're separated from God? It means we are saved. He, he's over that. He's in control of that. The fourth mark of the disciple is in verses 34 through 39. It is this. Disciples embrace the cost of discipleship. So we're just kind of progressing through here. You see how this is ramping up, right? Look at what he says in verses 34 through 37. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
That throws a lot of people off right there. A lot, the world doesn't understand Jesus, right? Peace, love, and all this stuff. No. I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. In verse 35, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so in verses 34 through 39, Jesus lays out the cost of discipleship, and his words hit us like a ton of brick. At least they ought to. As a matter of fact, verse 34 is a striking contrast between Matthew 5, 9 and the Beatitudes, right? Where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And we're called to be peacemakers. But here's the deal. Sometimes those who reject the gospel, they don't want peace. They don't want peace. It doesn't matter what you do. You're just going to be rejected and there will be no peace. No, we strive for it. And so here's what we need to keep in mind. There are some things that are more important than making peace. And loyalty to Jesus is more important than making peace. Listen, peace at any price is not peace. It's not. Loyalty to Christ may cause conflict even within our own families. And when this happens, Jesus tells us loyalty to him comes first. He must be Lord. He must be Lord. Jesus calls us to take up our cross in verse 38. And he's going to, it's, that's going to be made more clear in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. But for right now, he wants his disciples to understand that following him means taking up their cross and putting their love and loyalty to him above everything your family members, and even your own life. And all of this sounds very extreme when we read this passage in our comfortable, secure society that at least tolerates Christians, at least for now, right? So brothers and sisters, in some parts of the world, this text is only too relevant. It is the thing that they live every day. Conflict and division of which Jesus warns us is all too real for them. So you cannot follow Jesus without having to make some crucial choices about where your ultimate loyalty lies. And at some point, it will be tested. And it's probably most often going to be tested within your family. Those who know you best and say they love you the most, and yet they don't want you to follow Jesus. It'll be right there. If you haven't had to cross that, man, count your blessings. If you haven't had to make that choice, count your blessings. I've had to make that choice. I've had to make that choice in my family. Finally, notice how Jesus concludes his charge in verses 38 and 39 when he says, I'm sorry, in verse 38, he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so when Jesus called his family to take his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, listen, they knew exactly what he was talking about. No, they weren't thinking that he's going to go to the cross and die and be crucified for them. They didn't have any understanding of that yet. But what they did know was that they knew that he was calling them to abandon all and follow him no matter what the cost, follow him above their families, above themselves, without reservation, He's Lord, and I'm going to follow him. He, they understood that. You see, but for many today, the cross, that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean what it meant in the first century when they heard that. And so for many, the cross today is a religious symbol or a piece of jewelry. 
Sometimes it's used as branding for churches or stuck on the steeple. They're usually polished and trending. As far, that's as far as the cross goes for them. And some people think of bearing their cross as some kind of spiritualized experience where people talk about their hardships and their tragedies as their cross to bear. And when they say this, they're referring to a bad marriage, a rebellious child, an illness, or a job loss, or some other tragedy that's hit their lives. That is not what it means. None of these things are what Jesus meant. When Jesus called His disciples to take up their cross, it brought to their mind dread, horror, revulsion, and shame because that was the instrument on which the Romans executed criminals. Listen, to bear your cross means being willing to sacrifice everything everyone has ever given uh, uh, to you and for you and what what's gone on in your life see when we look back we understand that jesus gave everything on the cross and now he calls his disciples to give everything not in order to earn our salvation but to walk in his steps to take up our cross daily and follow him it means we die to ourselves die to our desires our loves and anything that threatens his our loyalty to him loyalty to him the lordship of him in our lives and in obedience we go to where he leads us and it means we're willing to give our lives for the sake of the gospel if it comes to that but here's the problem right often we love our own comfortable lives more than jesus we often do don't we 